thank you for what you've done, what you're doing. Tonight, teach us by your marvelous written word. Let it come alive and minister to your people. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Genesis. Tonight is a night of challenge. It's a night of challenge. It's a night of prophetic teaching. Genesis 39. We'll just speak verses until we get to where we're going. In Genesis 37. Genesis 37. Verse 3. Genesis 37. Verse 3. Now, Israel... Loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. When his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Notice that Joseph did not ask to be born, did not ask to be the favorite of his father, and obviously did not ask to be given any coat, whether colored or not colored. Joseph had nothing to do with his position and the way things and the way life uh, was coming at him. Verse 5, and Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Again, Joseph did not ask for any dreams, did not ask to dream. Dreams do not come because you ask for them. Dreams come because they come from God. And of course, he told his dream. His brothers hated him. Verse 19. Verse 20, now come, come now therefore and let us slay him and cast him into some pit and we will say some evil beast that devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Of course, verse 26, and Judah said unto his brethren, what shall, what profit is it? If we slay our brother and conceal his blood, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And of course, they sold him. They did sell him. Verse 36. And the Midianites, Midianites, of course, they meant the Midianites, or the Ishmaelites, they sold Joseph into Egypt Unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. They sold Joseph to Egypt. They sold him. They took him out of the pit and sold him. Now go to 39 1. They're doing well, but they are doing it at the wrong time. Genesis 39, 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, 
And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hand of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Say, the Lord was with Joseph. Say, and the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him, but he was still a slave. Mm -hmm. He was prospering. He was still a slave. Verse 3, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace or favor in the sight, in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Underline that. The blessing of the Lord. Joseph was carrying the blessing of the Lord upon his life. He was carrying the blessing on his life. Amen. He was carrying the blessing. And of course, his master's wife, lied against him, it threw him in jail. Verse 19, chapter 39, Genesis 39, 19. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. Say it again. And showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Notice that the Lord... so. Three things that you couldn't take away from Joseph we've seen so far is, number one, the Lord's presence. The Lord was with Joseph. Two, the blessing. The blessing. And three, favor. He was still, he was sold. He was a slave. He was wrongly accused. He was lied against. He was jailed. He was hated. But the Lord's presence and the blessing and the favor of God were upon him. That's a contradiction. Because many of us equate God's blessing and favor and presence to uh, having never to have any problems. 
never to have challenges. After all, I'm born again. I belong to Jesus. I go to church. I'm a Christian. I'm on fire for God. So that makes me immune to the challenges of life. Man, this is strange. God's presence. So God, didn't you know that they were planning to sell him? What did you do to protect him? Didn't you know that they sold him? What did you do to protect, preserve him? Now they lied against him. After all, he said, why should I sleep with my master's wife and sin against God? He's even still trying to protect you. He's trying to look, live good for you and show that he loves you. And, and now you still keep quiet, they sell him. Now he's in jail. Then you go to the jail and then you're still with him. Why don't you bring him out of the jail? Huh? Why is God, does it mean that God is happy with his condition? Why can't God bring him out? Uh-huh, good question. Because it's a very good question. Many of us think that God's blessing gives us immunity from the challenges of life. No, you will still go through life, no matter how born again you are. You will still go through life. You will still face opposition. You will still face challenges. You will still have bills to pay. You still have uh, friends who like you, enemies who will come against you, colleagues on the job. You will still be hated, envied, and still suffer jealousy. You will still have to deal with conflicts and challenges from colleagues and neighbors and siblings and sometimes church members. Being a Christian, loving God doesn't mean that you're now accepted from the challenges and issues of life. See, we were not told that. We were told that once you give your life to Christ, everything is fine. No, when you give your life to Christ, that's when everything is tested to see if you're really who and what you say you are. Notice that God knew that Abraham and Joseph was going to go through all these challenges and made provision by giving him the blessing his presence, his favor, and says, son, you need these. You need my blessing. You need my presence. You need my favor. You don't look like you need it now. You love your father. Your father loves you. You're your father's favorite. He made you a coat of many colors. You're staying in the house. Everything is going fine. But one day. So before Joseph got into trouble, God already knew and made provisions. So why did God give him those things and not preserve him? God gave him those things, the blessing, the presence, and the favor, as a form of protection. To protect him, to preserve him, to sustain him. But Joseph needed to go through the prison and the accusation and Potiphar's house and the pit and all of that. Why? Because that, those were the things that prepared him for where he was going. So what we call the devil at work or 
difficulties or frustrations sometimes are preparations, preparing us, getting us ready. So it's not often that it's the devil at work. No. Sometimes it's God at work. But you see, because we've not been taught, we've been given a different type of theology that says that once you give your life to Christ, everything should be fine. The money should flow, everything. No, no, no. The Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with Joseph. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. The Lord made it to prosper. The Lord made it to prosper. But he was still a prisoner. Because he had to be isolated and put in that spot until the fullness of time. If God had not allowed Joseph to go through, Joseph would not have been ready for when he was needed. I'm going somewhere. Go to chapter 40, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord the king. Verse 3. And he put them in word in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. See the script taking shape, put him where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued the season inward. And they dreamed a dream. And of course, David, uh, Joseph interpre- interpreted the dream. And um, the Pharaoh eventually released them. Um, look at verse 20, Genesis 40, 20. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand. Uh, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. Yeah, because Joseph said, remember me. Joseph now, God's presence was with him. God's favor was with him. God's power was with him. God preserved him. At what point did Joseph need anybody? He stopped looking to God. And started looking to man. And so he extended his suffering by two years. God made sure that the government official forgot about him. Still, it was a setup. Say setup. If the man had gone and removed Joseph prematurely from jail, it would have been disastrous. It was necessary that everything had to line up properly. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. To everything there is a season. To, every, to everything there is a season. 
to everything there is a season. Yes. To, it didn't say to everything there is a time. To everything there is a season. To everything there is a season. If you read it from verse 1 to 10, there are 32 seasons of life. Thirty-two seasons of life. I'm waiting for them to put it up on the screen so we can go with it. Thirty-two seasons of life to everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. To everything there's a season Hold on to Genesis 40. Genesis, we're coming back there. I just want to show you. When the season is not right, it's not going to happen. To everything, there is a season. Season and a time. The season is the period. The time is the day and the hour. The season means the general portion of time. There is a season. There are four seasons in America. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Four seasons. During the winter, everything in the, in the vegetation, all the leaves fall off. They look dry. They look dead. During, this, during the winter... That's when trees grow roots downward. They look dead, but that's when they grow roots downward. The the season of your life should be the time of you digging deeper in God. It's not a season of dryness. It's not a season of loss. It looks cold. It looks terrible. It looks dead. But that's a season to grow strength in God. After that, you have spring. That's when life comes back. Grass wakes up. Trees bud. Birds come out. But it's still a little cold. That's not the time to rejoice. That's the time that life has started over again. Then summer comes. The leaves are full. The the, the trees, uh, the birds are out. The weather is warm and nice and hot. And, and everything is just wonderful. And it's a time for fruit season. But don't forget that because, don't forget the winter you went through and the spring you went through. The time of the summer of life is not forever. There will come fall. And then winter will come again. Most of us in the summer of our life will forget. Our winter our spring, and the future. And by the time the summer is over and fall comes, the leaves fall, fruits are gone, birds are gone, it begins to get cold, then we wish that we had our summer, but it's too late. You're, you're heading south. And then comes winter again. The cycles of life. That's the general cycle. Those are the seasons of life. But then there is a time. The time is the the period within a season that is particular to the day and the hour. 
So if, you, if we say during summer, during summer, summer is summer, but if we say July the 4th, a particular idea comes to you because it's dealing with the month and with the date and the day. So time is not just in hours and minutes. Time is also measured in days. There is time for everything within the season for that particular thing. I'm going somewhere now. So when it's not time, it may be the season. Let me come back to that. It may be the season, but it's not the time. Maybe the season for everybody to go to school, but you're not in school yet. It's not the time. It may be the season that others are getting married, but it's not your time yet. It may be the season that people are buying their cars and houses, but you don't have yours yet. It's not your time. When it's your time, no one and nothing can stop you. Because it's according to the plan that God has made for your life. So, Pastor So, what are you saying? While Joseph was waiting for his own time to come, in his prison season, he was doing something. He stayed diligent. He stayed faithful. He was serving. He was working in the, in, in the prison. He was a... He, he was a Prison warder, 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 head prisoner. There is a time. Go back to Genesis 40. When it's not your time, stop freaking out. Everybody has his time. Everybody has his time. Everybody has his season. See, not... Let me say this. When you know what God has promised you, you will not worry about your own time or your own season. The reason why we worry when others seem to be making it and we get unnerved and get anxious and get depressed and discouraged is that we feel that our own time is passing. Huh? And we feel that time is going. But the controller of time has told you that he will, faithful is he that promised you, for he will also do it. I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he said it, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. If he said it, he will bring it to pass, because our God is a God with whom there is no shadow of turning. If he said it, he will bring it to pass, according to his own timing. Not according to your timing. So, God gives us signs. So, when it's happening for another, it's a sign that sooner or later your turn, your turn will come. Amen. But that's not where we're going. You're going to be shouting a moment. I just trying to lay a foundation to make you understand that when Joseph, Joseph never was bitter. He was never bitter. He was never belligerent. He never gave up. He never doubted. He just stayed at every stage in his seasons. He was faithful. He worked with integrity. He was committed. He gave it his best shot. He kept going. And he kept, as he kept going forward, he kept going down. 
the more committed he was, the worse things got. Abraham, same thing. Abraham is minding his business. God comes to him and says, Abraham, come out. Go to this country. I will show you. Yes, sir. He packs up. He leaves. He goes. God comes to him and says, I am going to bless you. You're going to be a father of many nations. I didn't ask you to come call me out. I didn't ask you to promise me. I didn't tell you that I need. You are the one who initiated. You made the promise. You are God. And then you swore with your name and with your spirit that you will not fail. Okay. 25 years later, it's not working. Nothing is happening. So did you make a mistake? No. So why is it not happening? I don't know. But you said God promised you. Yes. So where is the miracle? Well, God said. So why, where is it? Well, God said. I'm making you think tonight. So if God said it, so how come it's not happening? It's not time yet. So when is going to be time? Because time is going. You're growing older. God, you said you would deliver me. Now I was in pit, in the pit, in my, in, in near my brothers. You said you deliver me. Your presence is on me. Your blessing is on me. Your favor is on me. Now they take me and sell me. So what's the evidence that you are with me? After you said you'll be, me, you'll be with me in trouble, you will deliver me. That no weapon fashioned against me shall be able to prosper. But now I'm in jail. For it's a crime I didn't commit. In fact, I was trying to protect the interests of my boss by not sleeping with his wife. His wife turns around and puts me in trouble and accuses me. And my boss believes that I slept with his wife, that I'm working against the man. I was trying to protect his interest. So he's now in jail. So first time accused. Second time accused from Pete to, to Potiphar's house. I'm in jail for doing nothing. Come on now, am I the only one? What did I do wrong? What have I done wrong? Why is my life like this? I help others. Now interpreted dreams for these two guys. They're released from jail. They met me here. They've left me here. Is this my permanent residence? For doing nothing. For being innocent. Did I ask my father to love me? Did I ask him to make me a coat of many colors? So, God, this is how you treat people. I'm living holy. I'm living righteous. I said, why should I sleep with this woman and sin against the Lord my God? So, this is payback to compensate me and honor me and exonerate me and show that I'm yours. You now make it worse. I'm in jail. Then I help these two government officials and they leave and forget me. And yet, your favor and your blessing and your hand is on me in jail. When, is it, when are you going to bring me out? I help many others. They say, Joseph, thank you. You've been a good prison warder. See you now. And they're gone. And they move on and live their lives. That's the crisis of Christianity today. Mm. And then, to make it worse, remember I told you, timing. Genesis 41. Verse 1. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. And behold, he stood by the river. 
timing. These guys leave Joseph. Joseph is now two years in jail. Total of the number of years Joseph spent in jail? 13 years for doing nothing. <laughs> no parole. Parole for sleeping with the uh, commander-in-chief's uh, army, army, army uh, general's wife? You touch the vice president's wife? You say you forget parole? For not sleeping with her, he's in jail. 13 years. Then, it was necessary for him to be in jail for 13 years for Pharaoh to get to a point according to God's plan for Pharaoh to have dreams. So while Pharaoh was growing and maturing and establishing his government, God was designing a plan if Joseph had come out a year or two years before then, he would have missed the timing of God's chain of events. So all this time, God was planning on how to launch Joseph big time. But Joseph thought that God was trying to punish him or that God had forgotten about him or that God didn't care. Especially comparing himself to other people. He says, comparing ourselves to another. He said, don't do that. Because everybody's running in his own tracks. It's very difficult for Christians to not compare themselves to others. Because we pray in the same church together, the same prayer points, sing the same songs, listen to the same word, go in and out together. So how come you're getting your miracles? I'm not. It doesn't mean there's something I'm doing wrong. So we tend to look at each other. And compare ourselves. But as our faces and fingerprints are different, so our destiny is unique. But we forget that. Yes, it's a pastor, yes, I know, but I deserve a little something to encourage me. There is no place that God gave you a guarantee of a little something to help you along the way. I wish this was a Sunday service. There's no place. So the, now... In fact, it indicates to me that those who get their miracles before me are meant for smaller things than I am designed for. That's why I rejoice with you quickly. Remember the story I told you of men who were in a prayer meeting in Nigeria. One man was praying, God, give me 250,000 naira. Give me 250,000 naira. And the man next to him was asking God for a billion naira to complete what he needed to buy what he wanted to buy. He's a businessman. The rich man just got angry and said, my friend, how much do you say you're asking God for? He said, 250,000. Brought out his checkbook, wrote a check for 250,000. said, now go so that God can talk to me. My case is bigger than yours. Say, God, now, no, you don't need divided attention. I'm here. Let him go. Ah, he doesn't need God for $250,000. I need a million. A billion. So God, now you're free. You don't need any distraction so you can focus on me. Mm. See, when it comes to money, you come alive. (laughs) Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. 
And he has a dream. Verse 2, and behold, there came up out of the river seven well-favored kind and fat-fleshed, and they fed in, fed in the middle. And behold, seven other kind came up after them out of the river, ill-favored and lean-fleshed, and stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river. And the ill-favored and lean-fleshed kind did eat up the seven well-favored and fat kind. So Pharaoh awoke. Good job. God is still the God of seasons. He controls the affairs of men. God says, okay, Pharaoh, it's time to bring Joseph out. But I'm going to give you a dream. Two dreams, or one dream, but two dreams in one. And the dream will have to deal with the future. God gave Pharaoh a dream concerning the next 14 years. Seven years of famine, of plenty, and seven years of famine. But trouble was nobody could break it down. Pharaoh can't sleep. He called all his government officials. They have a cabinet meeting. They had a congress. Nobody could break it down. And because nobody could break it down, nobody could move forward further. But God had a man he had prepared called Joseph. If there was no Pharaoh, there wouldn't have been no Joseph. If there was no nightmares that Pharaoh had, the gift of Joseph would not have come into manifestation. It was necessary that Pharaoh be in government when Joseph was in jail. Look at timing of God. So everything works in synchronicity or synchronized. So God now gives somebody a problem and gives you the solution. And meanwhile, at the place where he prepared you and gave you the solution, you thought you were suffering. You didn't know that you were being prepared for the timing. So the man who is Pharaoh has a problem at the timing that is proper in his own destiny to have those nightmares. Not one day earlier or one day later. He had to have those nightmares. In order for the man called Joseph who was already prepared and he had to be in Egypt. He had to be in jail. He had to have been connected. He had to have met the butler and the baker. And he had to have been forgotten. In order for things to line up. If he had been released earlier, he may have left Egypt or gone back to somewhere or gone somewhere or gone to the University of Nile or something and missed his timing. So Pharaoh has a bad dream now. Then they have a meeting. During the meeting, one of these guys says, I remember a guy. He was a head prisoner when I was in jail. His name is Joe. Guy is strange, but I remember when I had a dream, he explained it to me. Guy is kind of strange, but he has a gift. He has a gift. Notice that. A gift, not a talent, not a skill. He has a gift. He has a gift. And he interpreted my dream, and Pharaoh brought me out. Pharaoh said, send for him. Send for him. 
Sunday. The same guy who's in jail, Potiphar, he leaned over. Is he not the guy who molested your wife? Say, what? Send him. Send for him. Hmm. Send for him. Send for him. Send for him. Hmm. Send for him. Because, write this down, Pharaoh had to be a man who took his dreams seriously. If he was a flaky person, who would have woken up and said, oh, it probably was a pizza I had from uh, Pizza Palo in uh, Egypt. Oh, you know, waved it off. Joseph's suffering would have continued. But he was a man who believed in dreams and understood that he needed dreams to be unlocked for his future to be discerned. He took dreams seriously. So they told him there's this guy. So they sent for Joe. And Joe comes over. Verse 14, Genesis 41, 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. Not just a prison. Dungeon means a prison in the ground. Uh, different stories. He was a head jailer, a head prisoner, but he was still in the dungeon. And he shaved himself, meaning that he had a beard. He looked very unkempt. When you're in prison, you're not running for any beauty contest. And he changed his raiment. And came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, verse 15, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Hmm. So he told him his dream. After the, his dream, um, Joseph spoke up and said to him, verse 32, And for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. I like the way Joseph is introducing God into the mix. You're telling Pharaoh, who is an Adu worshiper, about God. Pharaoh is not just an Adu worshiper. Pharaoh is an idol himself. He's worshipped as a god. So you're telling him there is another god bigger than him. You're risking your life now. See, but Joseph, now this is why Joseph had to go through the pit and the prison and the Potiphar's house, the three P's. Pit, prison, Potiphar's house. He had to go through. Why? To prepare him for that one conversation. What is the conversation? Whereby you can look the richest, most powerful idol and God in the world to his face and tell him about your God because you have nothing to lose. You've been to the worst of the worst and downest of the downest and you don't care whose head rolls, but you say what you've got to say. Political correctness is because we have not gone through. 
When you've gone through and you have nothing to lose, you don't care what people think about you. You don't care what people want to think about you. You do what you have to do and say what you have to say and move on. We want to, once you see a crowd pleaser and a people pleaser, is someone who is not willing to suffer for what they believe in. Be careful of people who have convictions but don't have the guts to stand up and say, this is what I believe. What happens, let it happen. You're single. You are the most advantageous part of your life. Look for a guy with vision and conviction who is ready to die if necessary to see his vision come to pass. Don't look for a guy who is frigid, though he has a big vision, because he's not going to deliver. Look for a guy who is ready, he's passionate, and he has a big vision, and he's willing to do anything. Joseph has been through it all. Pete, prison, wrongly accused, in jail, forgotten, 30 years. So what does he, he doesn't know how to behave. He doesn't know whether you're rich or not, 44 or not. He's... God, who gave him his presence and gave him the blessing and gave him the favor, now this is the time to deliver. So he said, God who was with me, God who kept me, God who favored me, God who blessed me, I'm going to pull from that and stand and tell you as it is, God is the one who will do it. What if he had said, oh, long live of your majesty, uh, I know you have power to send me back to jail or to keep me out from jail. And boy, it feels good to be in the White House for these few hours to wait till they call me in to interpret and look at the goblet and look at the taste of bread and the kind of wine I've had. Boy, have I suffered. Oh, long live your majesty. What do you want to hear? The seven cows are not really troublesome. The seven fat cows show that you're going to be wealthy. The seven lean cows that ate up the... No, that's not what it means. What it means is that for seven years, you're going to just have plenty. But for the next seven years, while you're enjoying your plenty, your enemies will suffer. You'll have seven lean cows. He said to him, you'll have plenty for seven years, but seven years of trouble is coming. For you to tell a man who has the right to cut off your head that trouble is coming for seven years... You know that God. So, God's presence often is not for now. God's blessing is not for now. The fact that God has put a mark of blessing on you doesn't mean it's now that you should use it. There's a maturing. God is an investor. God will put something in you and on you for when he needs it. It doesn't mean it's for now. We freak out because we think that because God gave me a vision now and has promised to bless me and has given me a sign that the vision is for now. The vision is for an appointed time. Habakkuk chapter 2. It's for an appointed time. If it doesn't come to pass at the time God spoke it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen but it's going to get good in a moment. And so, he interpreted the dream. Look at what he said from verse 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. 
And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh. And let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt. That the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. This is a prisoner, a foreigner, talking to the Congress of Egypt on what to do concerning economic problems. Just like today. There's famine, no rain, government is in crisis, there's depression, loss of jobs, bills are not paid, people are going through because they have no job, they have no income, People are losing houses and cars and money. Bad, bad, bad time. It's been said that the time of depression in America is the time that more, most millionaires are raised. Why? Because when there is badness, God has prepared people who have suffered their own badness before badness comes. So by the time badness comes, they now use the skills with which they survive badness to now survive again. That's how they become millionaires. Do you understand that? So Joseph is here now. He's like, I've been in prison. I'll talk to the king as freely as I wish. The king now said, there's nobody who can do this. A prisoner who didn't go to school is now the chief advisor on government economics. People with PhDs, triple MBAs, can't advise a king. So this guy was not in jail after all. He was not wrongly accused after all. For all things work together. He was not forgotten in jail after all. He was not wrongly accused after all. He was going through his own university. When others were feasting. So when trouble now came on the land, somebody who had been there, done that, got the t-shirt, came out and said, I know the way out. In those seven years of plenty, store, take one faith, 20% of everything that comes in, put it away. So for seven years of plenty, they were putting away 20% of everything that came in. And then the silos, the dog, Joseph now invented because he had been in the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Everything in the Bible is not by accident. Go research on it. The silos that, David, that Joseph built were not on the ground. They were pits, dungeon for storing of grain. The temperature was calm, was cooler in the ground. Yes. There was famine, there was heat on the ground. The seeds were preserved. Nobody could break in. And if you go Google it, you see where people are going around steps as they go down to the pit. Big, huge wells of grains. And that was where the whole world, that's how the whole world was was preserved, through somebody's ingenuity and skill. Let me now bring you to where I was going. Trouble will always come. Challenges of life will always come. It is how you apply yourself to. It's what you do when when you don't know what to do that makes the difference. 
Notice that Joseph didn't use his skill. Your skill is the knowledge you've acquired or learned. <laughs> you go to school to sharpen, to learn your skill, to learn a skill. Your skill is what you learn for, to work, skill. But your skill is not your gift. Your skill you learn through education and training. Your gift God gave you naturally. Huh? I want you to make sure you focus now because we, we, I want you to, sh- to show you something. Your skill you get through training and education. And the purpose of training and education is to give you a job so you can get paid a salary. That is the crisis of America today. So you're paid a salary because you have a job, correct? And you have a job because you, passed, you went for an interview. And you convince them that you have the right training and education. Sometimes they retrain you before they give you the job. Or they train you on the job. Correct? So you can learn to do what they need you to do when they need you to do it. How they need you to do it. Correct? So if they take no salary, if, if the job is gone... Salary is gone. The training and education and skill become irrelevant. Become useless, correct? So you look for somebody else who will need your training and education and skill who is willing to hire you again and give you a job and give you a salary, correct? So if the person changes his mind about you, you're back to car not paid for, house not paid for, bills not paid for, crisis. Correct? So Joseph says to, to Pharaoh, the way you've been running your government, you've been running it like it's a job. So if you don't save 20% of your income now, there is a time for everything. There's coming a time that you're not going to have a job. That is the crisis of America. When they had the plenty, they didn't save. They didn't pay off. They were leaving plenty. So the seven years now came, the seven years of trouble, to eat up the seven years of plenty. In the seven years of trouble, you now dig into your savings to sustain yourself. So the seven bad years eat up the good and the blessings and of the seven good years. Correct? What if you had nothing during the seven good years? So Joseph now brought a new principle into economics and government. That a government that doesn't save is a government that is doomed to crash. Because there are seasons of life. There is a season of plenty. There's also a season of not plenty. 
Just like the sun, the day follows the night, so shall the season of leanness follow the season of plenty. Everybody goes through. But what do you do? Where do you draw from when you're going through? Two things you can do. Number one, you draw from your savings. If you save. Most Christians are living from hand to mouth, not to talk of saving anything. They're hoping that what they have is not enough. But there will come a time they will have plenty and then they will save. And before you know it, they are 80 years old. (laughs) But that's not where it gets. The place I'm going to is where your gift comes in. What is your gift? Your gift is what you're born with. Notice that Joseph, for him to become prime minister, didn't rely on his skill. He was a good shepherd. He was a good houseboy. He was a good prisoner. He knew how to wrestle down some stubborn ones, beat up some, put them in jail, lock the thing. For you to be a warder, you got to be strong, tough, head prisoner, tough guy. He had to learn how to take care of those who were sick, learn management, learn how to distribute resources, all of that, budgeting, name it, uniform, prison uniforms, cleaning, deal with contractors, those to supply food, those to cook, those to clean, those to uh, the doctors, all of that. Joseph had to do everything. He had to deal with the doctors, when, the nurses, when the prisoners were sick. He had to deal with the food suppliers, water supply the clothing, the cleaning, the security, the lighting, the cooling, the heating, the big job. So in those 13 years he was in jail, he learned at a small level how to run a government. People think that because it's not happening for you now that you're finished. They don't know that in your silent years is when, like a tree, you grow roots downward in winter. See, but that's, that's, that's not where I want you to... to that's not, if you learn and understand what God is up to and apply your mind to developing your gift, not your skill. What is your gift? What you are born with. A fish doesn't need to go to a school of fish of swimming. Put it in water, it knows what to do. A bird doesn't need to go to the school of flying. Throw it up, it flies. Only Christians are wait, have to wait to be taught how to swim, how to fly, how to run, how to walk, how to save, how to pray, how to this, how to that. So if the preacher doesn't do that, then they say the preacher has messed them up. As if God owes you any explanation. As children of the kingdom, when we come into the kingdom, everything kingdom should come to us naturally. Because it's in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We come to church to do what? To discover the gift. What is your gift? That thing that God gave you that you can do easily without having to go to school. 
if you use your skill, you will be without job and money. Use your gift. For a man's gift, make it room for him, not his skill. (laughs) It is your gift. Now, many of us have abandoned our gifts and acquired skills so we can get work and get money. And you are begging somebody who God created to work for you to give you a job. You go to apply to a guy who should be your butler. If only you had discovered your gift and developed it. You're called to own a chain of restaurants and you're going to a restaurant to beg to be hired to fly to fry chips and flip burgers. Because we are blind to our gift. The world has sold us the wrong thing and told us that once you get a skill and you get trained and you get a, get a job and get money and all is well, that's fine until the economic shaking comes. Then there's trouble. So bills are not paid. Difficulty comes. We don't have a backup. So tonight I'm challenging you. Go back to your gift. When you find your gift, you find your gate. There's a gate of authority for everyone. My skill is journalism. My skill is business. But my gift is preaching, teaching, pastoring. That's my gift. Pastoring, teaching, preaching comes to me without any effort. But for me to work in a, in a corporation now, I have to go study and go pass an interview. I don't need to pass an interview. Throw a fish in water. You don't need to tell you what to do. Throw me amongst people who want to go to heaven. I don't need to go research and revise and fast and pray and tell them what they need to do. So I'm a discoverer of gifts in people because I've discovered my gift. My gift is to discover the gift in you that you have not discovered. Somebody says, so what's mine? Go find out. What is it that comes to you easily, effortlessly? For some, it's making hair. For some, it's cooking. For some, it's polishing of shoes. For some, it's hair making. For some, it's fixing makeup. Whatever it is. We've not, see, the reason why you're squirming is that we've not been trained on how to develop our gift and convert it to money. So we're afraid to develop our gifts and step out. And the reason why people don't want to step out is that in discovering your gift and developing it, you have to go through. It's a process. So we take the short ride out until the boss who has hired us doesn't like us anymore. That is the crisis of the modern world today. People with four or five PhDs and they've abandoned, maybe they are called to be barbers, but they left their gift and pursued their skill. Joseph didn't need no skill. He used his gift and became prime minister. It came naturally to him to interpret dreams. And it came naturally because he had used his gift at a small level to manage a prison and manage it very well and profitably. 
He was now experienced in managing of big things, like a, the, the biggest economy of the leading, the leading biggest economy of the world at that time, the superpower economy of the world. Pharaoh said, there's no man like you. Go do what you said. So he not only knew the theory, but he knew how to harness and farm and harness all the food of Egypt and preserve it for 14 years and fed the world and turned Egypt from a, a medium superpower to a huge superpower. So much that his own family benefited for 430 years they were in Egypt. Your gift gives you supremacy over kings and rulers. They eat from your hand. They depend on what you say. And when you use your gift, then their resources are open to you. You will not be on salary. You will be a shareholder. You own equity. So, pastor, what's my gift? What do you enjoy doing most without effort? Joseph discovered this. Samson discovered his. Esther discovered hers. The uncle said, you think you're just there to marry the, the king? You were there. You are set up there to preserve your people. If you don't preserve your people, your enjoyment will be cut off. Jesus, his skill was to be a carpenter. That's what he was trained to be. But that was not his gift. That was not his calling. His calling was to be the savior of the world. So for 30 years, he was a carpenter, earning a living. But when the time came for his gift to come forth, he stopped working. People started working for him and paying his bills. What is your gift? It may be, you may be thinking it's something huge. It's not the size of your gift. It is the ability you, 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 you apply to it. So when you see people who don't take the, the food that will develop and nourish your gift is the word of God. The word of God is what will feed and take care and sustain your gift. The more you are deeply entrenched and knowledgeable about the word of God, the more your gift is sharpened for a time that is needed. So when people see you today and judge you by how you look now and how you behave now and how you operate now, they may be making a mistake. Bible says, despise not the day of small beginnings. So I don't look at my today. It doesn't bother me. Because I'm practicing, I'm working on my gift for big time. So that when that big door opens, I know what to do. Because I've done it at a, small, at a smaller level. Pastoring a few hundreds. Traveling the world, preaching. And you think I'm wasting time. Pastor Bo, how come someone who has all these gifts like you is going through this, going through that? No, I'm practicing. But there will come a time I'll pastor presidents and kings because I've pastored ordinary people before. But you see, you must have a place you practice first. Your gift has to be sharpened. Your gift has to be discovered. You have to crystallize on your major gift and your minor gift. So it means you have two gifts, your minor and major. 
That doesn't mean you won't still go to school and acquire skill. You may be a gifted administrator, but for now you're an IT person. But you see, we forget and you settle on IT and you pursue it and excel in it. Meanwhile, your dominant gift, not your skill, is languishing. So when there's a problem on the job, and there will not be any problem in Jesus' name, you're now at the mercy of ignoramuses who should have been working for you if you had discovered your gift. So the butler and Potiphar and Pharaoh, who were, when Joseph discovered his gift, were they not working for him? Those he used to look up to began to look up to him because his gift established him where their skill failed. If I had stayed as a... Is it too deep for you today? If, if I had stayed as a journalist and a businessman, I would have still been using my skill. But when I discovered my gift and my calling, it was a struggle. But when I embraced it and went through the small level in a living room, praying for people for free, Nobody knew me. Nobody ever recognized me. Nobody gave me the time of the day. I was laughed at and jeered at, mocked at, written off. But God had a plan. So he now said to me, you've learned it at this level. Now I'm going to take you to the United States. He took me to a small white church for four years. And now he said, now you're going to have to go to Atlanta. Now we're taking you to the bigger platform. Being here for 10 years. And he's saying to me, now it's time to take you to yet a bigger platform. So, hate me, talk about me, accuse me, come to church, don't come to church, doesn't matter. When I get to the next big platform, you'll be looking at me on Facebook like those in Connecticut are looking at me on Facebook right now. Because they're saying to me, wow, we wish we knew. You used to say it. We sensed it. But we thought you were just another African nobody, homeless, broke guy who just showed up here. We wish we had treated you better. So the worst thing you can do is to laugh at and despise a guy who is loaded with gifts. As long as he's ignorant and blind to his gift, he's jobless and homeless and then he's depressed. But once he discovers his gift and sits under a place where the water of the washing of the word, all you need to do is take a seed. Anytime a seed touches water, you don't need to tell the seed what to do. It will sprout. It will germinate. Put it away for 5,000 years. Bring it out. Water touches it. Soil touches it. Comes out. In every seed, it's not just a tree or a fruit, a forest. One seed of orange gives you a tree of orange with so many oranges and so many seeds. You take all the seeds, you plant them, you have a farm, you plant it again, you have a, before you know it, it's not a plantation, you have a forest from one seed. There is no endless possibility to a seed. So you have a seed, which is your gift inside of you. But you don't know how to discover it. And so you're begging somebody who has discovered his own gift and is working his own gift and his gift is making money for him. You're begging them to hire you. 
So they hire you on their terms and they kick you as they wish. Because they found out that you're so ignorant and blind to your gift. And so you deserve to be in prison and in jail. Till you discover it. If you ever discover it. Till you discover it. If you ever discover it. The same problem, the same gift that got Joseph in trouble, got him out of trouble. You can't kill a man with a gift because it's a seed. A gift is a seed of God. You can't kill a seed. You cannot kill a seed because it's a seed. Everybody has a seed of God. The same thing. That's why a man, Abraham, at 100 years old, can still bring forth children. Why? Because you can't kill a seed. You can't kill a seed. You can't kill a seed. You cannot kill a seed because it's God-given. A skill is man-given. Take away a man who has a gift and has discovered it, like Joseph. Take his coat. Take his house. Take his money. Put him in jail. Bring him out. He will flourish. Put him in jail. He will flourish. Put him in Potiphar's house. He will flourish. Put him in a straight line. He will flourish. Why? Because the gift is on inside of him. You can't take it out, even if you cut him open. It's on inside of him. Your gift defines who you are. When you discover who you are, money will flow to you naturally. I'm a pastor. That's my calling. That's the seed of God in me. I don't have to go to work. Money comes to meet me anywhere I hold a microphone. That's how you all give me money. So you're giving, me, giving a man money who has discovered his gift and is working and using it to profit and benefit your life. So I use my gift, what I enjoy doing, and you pay me for it. So you're paying me for enjoying myself. Huh? I know you get, you're, you're jealous, but that's true. I just got to tell you. So you can prepare some more money coming, you know. The same thing. C.C. Winers. She didn't learn it. It's a gift. So you're paying her millions for using her gift. A song she could have been singing in her kitchen and nobody knew. So she's not doing anything special. You don't pay a fish for swimming in water. That's who they are. Some of you is singing. Some of you is cooking. Some of you is typing. Some of you is writing. Some of you is painting. Some of you is working with wood. Some of you is working with shoe. Anything. But you see, you've despised your gift. That's why you can't look a second, second, take a second look at it. Your assignment is to go and ask yourself, what is my gift? That's why we create the platform at the church level and push you so you can discover your gift and we give you a free platform to practice it and perfect it before you go big time. So whether you come to church or not, I'm working on my gift. I'm smoothening, I'm perfecting it. How to speak, how to dress, how to stand, how to flow, how to enunciate, how to uh, verbalize, how to bring it to pass, how to engage people's attention, how to stand, how to pray, how to last long, how to breathe, how to control my breath. All of that I'm preparing for the time of big time. Because when it's big time, I wouldn't have time like I do now. And big time means big money. 
See, if the world prepared America and said to America, the years are plenty, put away 20%, people would have been not suffered. 14 million or whatever, jobless, homeless, broke, disgusted, nothing happening. Even if they put them back at work now, it would take them years to recover. They've lost houses, lost husbands, wives, cars, money, jewelry, name it, that they took years to build up. So how are they going to build it back up? Because they relied on their skill, not their gift. Praise the Lord. Did you learn anything today? Hmm. I've said it before. Those who discover their gift are those who enjoy gifts from people. When you discover your gift, then you receive gifts. Some of you can cook very well. People are willing to give you money to pay you money for cooking yourself dinner. They're willing to share your dinner and give you money. Meanwhile, you're looking for how you will go get a job at at and You cook yourself a nice dinner at home. People say, can we come over to your house and eat from what you prepared for yourself and pay you for it? That's how restaurants started. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you're sitting on it and saying you're looking for a credit card. What is your gift? Stand and clap for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise, Father. May these words not fall on deaf ears and deaf hearts in Jesus' name. Lift your hands and ask God to open up your eyes to see your gift to you. Thank you, Father.